Major Lindsay and Africa presents Bouncing Back, conversations about resilience for lawyers. Welcome to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. This podcast is brought to you by Major, Lindsay, and Africa, the global leader in legal search and consulting. I'm your host, Rebecca Glotzer. I'm a managing director in the associate practice group at Major, Lindsay, and Africa. In this podcast, I'll speak to successful professionals about the hiccups, bumps, bruises, and setbacks they've experienced in their careers and personal lives, and how they ultimately bounce back from those experiences to thrive. Today, my guest is Rochelle Marshall. Rochelle is Managing Chief Counsel, Enterprise Data Privacy, Security, and Technology Law at McKesson Corporation, a Fortune 9 company and one of the world's largest providers of pharmaceuticals, medical supplies, health information technology products, and services. At McKesson, Rochelle leads a team of lawyers providing advice to the enterprise and affiliated business units on a broad range of data privacy, cybersecurity, and technology matters. Prior to joining McKesson, Rochelle had several positions as Associate General Counsel at Tufts Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts, in-house counsel regulatory compliance at DeKalb Medical in Atlanta, Georgia, and was an associate at Sutherland, Asbill, and Brennan. Rochelle also serves on the Data Privacy and Integrity Advisory Committee Committee of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and as a strategic advisor to a fintech company. Rochelle earned a JD from Emory University Law School and a BA cum laude from Lawrence University. Rochelle, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. Um, we'll get right into it. Uh, in a prior conversation, you mentioned to me that you were one of the lucky ones who graduated at the height of the Great Recession in 2009 <laughs> with a big law job. <laughs> um, how was that experience for you? Uh, um, it was it was an interesting one, to say the least. Yes, I graduated in 2009 during the height of the Great Recession, I was, as you said, lucky to get a job in a litigation group of a big law firm. And I I really felt that. I felt lucky enough to have a job, uh, even if it was deferred for a few months. I didn't start until, I think, January 2010. And lucky for a couple of reasons. A couple of my peers were going into corporate and real estate groups and their offers were rescinded because if you remember everything, you know, around the corporate industry collapsing at that time. And mm-hmm. so I was just grateful to have somewhere to go to work, um, especially because as an international student and needed a sponsored work visa to stay in the country. So getting one at the time felt a little bit like winning the lottery. Mm-hmm. And so I and so I go into the litigation group and I just knew that. Uh, it was going to be great because my dad was a litigator and he loved it. And he'd been telling me my whole life that, you know, I should just go be a lawyer. <laughs> and, and so, you know, like the good firstborn I am, I listened. Uh, and so, and so, um, you know, here I am preparing to be, to be this great litigator. And it was a struggle from the start. If you remember business at firms at that time was pretty slow And so making hours was just hard. And I didn't even know I was capable of that level of anxiety, to be honest. 
right? I felt like I had to justify through hours my reason for being at the firm to stay employed, but also to keep my visa. And I just, I, I hated it. And I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know it was possible to hate something that much. I thought, pay me twice a week, I'm good. Or pay me twice a month, I'm good. And um, I learned through that experience that I needed a bit more than that. And I had to come to grips with the fact that it was, I, 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 I was struggling, I, it was hard, I was, I was finding it difficult to, to get through the days, and I eventually just confided in my mentor who helped me figure out my next steps. He helped me realize that I wasn't a failure for struggling in this particular position, and that I had something to offer someone else, and he helped me land my first in-house interview at a hospital system. And yeah, <laughs> I was going to say it's amazing because uh, what year were you? Was this the first year of you being in private practice that you landed that job or was it, you know, a couple of years where you struggled? Uh, uh, I, yeah, I, I struggled for a couple of years. I, I think I was, you know, going into my third year um, when I felt like I hit that wall and that I I'd been trying for a while and I was making hours, but not easily. And, and I just didn't think it was sustainable. And that's kind of the point in which I went to um, a partner mentor at the firm who I felt I could be myself around and be honest with my challenges. And, and he said, I'll help, I'll help you. And, and, and he did, and he helped me get this interview at this hospital system. And it was, I had no idea that healthcare law could be something I could do because I was in litigation group. I, I, don't, right. I didn't know, you know what I mean? Right. I, that's, <laughs> that's such a tricky transition. And I was going to say too, I mean, I, as I'm listening to you tell your story, Rachel, you know, a couple of things pop out to me. Um, one is I was a practicing attorney back at that time too. And for those in the listening audience who we're not in the legal market and practicing attorneys at that time. I mean, law firms, things were so bad economically, business-wise, that law firms um, were just firing in mass, like whole departments, like goodbye corporate department, we don't need you anymore, we have no business, or real estate, or, you know, I mean, people were being fired every which way, um, there were no jobs to be had. And I'm sure for you, it's like, okay, not only do I need this, because I need a job, I have probably student loans to pay for. Um, there's these expectations because my dad is a lawyer and he's a litigator. And then also to stay in the country, you, you know, you couldn't just quit. Um, <laughs> there, no, there was nowhere else just, to go. There, there was no other alternatives. You, you couldn't quit. You're right. It was a mass exodus from so many firms, including my own, in terms of people being, you know, just summarily fired. And I had insane amount of student loan debt. And I knew that if I went back home um, to Jamaica, where I'm from, I couldn't earn enough in Jamaican dollars to pay that student loan back. Mm. You know? And because I was an international student, I had co-signers for my loans, family members. So yeah. I I had to keep the job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Goodness gracious. And so it just, it, I felt the weight on my shoulders, the weight of, you know, expectation, 
but also the financial burden that I placed my family members in. And I knew I had to make it work. I just didn't know how. And and that's sort of the, the kind of, for me, the breaking point of going to a mentor and saying, I'm struggling. I don't know how to get oh. myself out of this. Yep. And um, totally. no, that makes sense. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about the mentor. Mm-hmm. Was this an individual at your law firm or was this someone, you know, outside of of um, the sort of confines of big law? Uh, it was a person at my law firm, actually, okay. and he was my associate mentor. Uh, when you when you summer at a firm, they sometimes give you what's called an associate mentor and a partner mentor. And the associate mentor is someone who's an associate who's supposed to be the person you can ask the stupid questions to. Right. right? That you're too ashamed <laughs> to ask the partner. Right? Where's the copier? Exactly. <laughs> How do I get reimbursed for my lunch? Exactly. Right. So when I summered, he was my associate mentor. And by the time I uh, graduated law school, he had made partner. And so we had that. I asked him, you know, untold amount of stupid questions during my summer and had a had a, a close relationship where I could be real. And I think he saw me um you know as as a friend and a colleague but maybe even as a little sister um mm, and it. and so was always very warm and kind with his time and you know as a partner sometimes that's hard to come by yes very hard I mean the, the billing in six minute increments does not leave a lot of time for chit chat <laughs> and, and mentoring and I think I think that's wonderful that you that you managed to get uh connected to him so tell me a little bit about that conversation uh for our listening audience for those people who uh might be in a simple a situation you know akin to yours where you were and are looking to make a change and are looking to do something different how did that conversation or conversations with the mentor go so um we we obviously had we worked at the same place so we'd been in we'd been communicating over the past couple of years about the ups and the downs and i think i had a particularly a rough week and um, my emotions were close to the surface. And I did uh, something that you recommend no one does at work and is going to a partner's office and cry. (laughs) (laughs) I I recommend that to no one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be my, I'd be like, go in the bathroom and cry and then wipe your face. Exactly, exactly. So, you you know, for those listening, don't do what I did, right? <laughs> so, so, not not in that order, not in that yeah, order. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, I, I spent, it's, you know, I kind of pride myself on being practical and, um, and level-headed, and I think he knew me that way as well and was surprised at how low I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that I'm not, I'm not alone, right? He feels he felt like the position I was in in my practice group at the time and the work and the way the work was flowing um, wasn't conducive to my success or development. And he was going to help me. Um, And he said those. He said, I'll help you. And he leveraged his network and got me an interview. I promise you, I had no business getting. Um, (laughs) I was. you know, at a hospital system, and I knew, I mean, I knew how to spell healthcare. That was about it. That's it. You knew what a hospital was. You knew what a doctor was. That's it. And I remember driving to that interview and calling um, and calling him and saying, what do these people think I am? Um, like, what, 
did, do I have to pretend to be something I'm not? And he's like, nope, told them you, you know nothing. You're not expected to know anything. Um, just go in and be yourself. I told them you're smart and you can learn whatever it is they throw at you. And and so I go in and true to, true to form, you know, I didn't have to pretend. I didn't have to study. Um, I was given on my first day a book called Introduction to Healthcare by my oh, new nice. boss. And so nice. he's like, you might you might want to read this, you know, cover to cover, <laughs> cover to cover. And that's how my journey in healthcare started. Um, wow. You know, that's amazing. I mean, there's so many pieces of this that I'm just like. How fortuitous, you know, mm-hmm. rare, rare for, first to find a good mentor in my experience is not the easiest thing in the first place. I mean, there's a little bit of luck that goes into that. Um, and then the other thing, I mean, he went so far as to leverage his network, um, you know, on your behalf. And then to also say, hey, let me stick my neck out here. Rochelle's going to be able to do this. She doesn't know how to do it now. Um, it, it's not common um, as you know, and, and again, for our listening audience, maybe in the law firm side uh, of our business and not on the in-house side, um, when you go to a company, they're not trying to train you. They want no. you. I mean, in some things, their business. Yes, you've got to learn their business. Um, you've got to learn certain things, but they're not um, trying to teach you from scratch what a healthcare attorney is or what a litigator is or what have you. And so I think it's incredible and amazing. Now, for clarity's sake, this was the compliance role at the cab medical. Um, yes. That was your first yes. Gig. Okay. Out of, yeah. out of Sutherland. Okay. That's, yeah. that's um, amazing. And I mean, you know, as you can imagine, you know, I took a massive pay cut, right? Yes. <laughs> to, yes. Yeah. I'm green. I'm moving yes. from big law to in-house, all of those things sort of equated to a big pay cut, but it was worth it. It was worth it for that's me. Amazing. And and how much runway did they give you? I mean, you know, they're coming in there like, well, she doesn't know anything about. She's smart. Um, she knows how to spell healthcare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I was curious, you know, did they give you some time, to, or you know, or were you just so hungry that you were like, okay, let's go, let's, I'm gonna learn on the fly. You know, how did that, how did that work? Because I'm imagining you felt like a fish out of water, like yeah. when, you, when you took that job. I I did feel like a fish out of water, um, and uh, you know. I've had that feeling being a fish out of water several times in my life. So I suppose that maybe I was used to it. Um, but I didn't really have that much of a runway because the legal department was two people. Right? And, okay. Um, okay. Um, you know, two or three people. And so, and so I had to kind of, learn by doing but what I did have was a very supportive boss who rightfully so micromanaged at the beginning mm. uh, so I didn't have I didn't have anywhere really to fall flat on my face because he was there supporting me you know mm. you know looking reading over making sure that I I, got, I had the right clauses in the contracts or I reviewed reviewed the right laws and came to the right conclusion and so eventually he let the reins go a bit, but in that early stage, I had to jump in, but he was my backstop. Yeah, no, that's great. Cause there are other places, you know, that'll be very sink or swim. Even if you're coming, you know, from, from let's say six years, seven years, eight years, nine years of practicing in big law, um, you know, depending on the capacity of the people in that 
in uh, in-house legal department, they may not have time to look over your shoulder. And I think that's wonderful that you had that opportunity as well. Um, I imagine, you know, were there were there still hiccups in that regard, um, being that you were learning this on the fly? Um, you know, were there kind of places where it didn't go completely smoothly in that first gig um, at the Cap Medical? I mean, sure. I mean, there, you know, you, you get the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah, the answer, the answer should have been clear. And you came to the wrong conclusion, or you have to prove that you have to prove your mettle a little bit more in that circumstance to earn the, the loosening of the reins, so to speak. And I think there are times where I felt both pressure and the style of management were were limiting mm. but looking back at it it was necessary I knew that my general counsel was invested in my success and this was the way he was going to go about helping me get there gotcha. and it makes the it makes the, all the difference in the world when you feel like people want you to succeed you can yeah. you can you can you can work through a lot. You can be embarrassed and fail and fail in front of your new boss. Mm-hmm. And but no, because he's so, he's so gracious that that it's it doesn't prevent him from seeing your capabilities the next time around. Agreed. I I I I, I you know you said something to me that is so important uh, poignant. And I think something that employers really need to think about, I, I, you said, you know, you can <laughs> essentially fail a million times if, if you know that the boss and, and the team behind you is rooting for you. Um, mm-hmm. I've been in the opposite situation and then I've been in that situation where, um, you know, you feel more comfortable making, ta- taking, making risks, taking risks and making failures um, because, you know, they're still going to pick you back up and brush you, you know. Pat you on the back, brush you off, and say, "Okay, go ahead, try again, please." Um, you know, and I think I think that's again a wonderful environment because they're not all the same. How did the DeKalb medical role lead to the one at Tufts, and then your current job? Sure, I said so been in DeKalb medical and learning on the fly. One one of the great things about DeKalb medical was that it was a hospital system, but it was also sort of the the little engine that could relative to the Emory hospital system. Um, and so it had less resources that meant as a lawyer, you had a lot of opportunity to practice. If that makes, mm. if that makes sense. You know, uh-huh. it's not this big legal department. Yes. And so I was enjoying it all, um, all's well. And my boyfriend turned fiance matches at Harvard in Boston and we had met in grad school and and it was it was you know not love at first sight but (laughs) I love it close enough and so we dated and at at and then so he matches he matches in Boston and we spent some time apart and decided that we wanted to, as you would with your fiance, soon to be husband, live together. Yeah. And so yeah. I had to figure out how to get to Boston. Yes. yes. And I, uh, I was going to say, I've done the long distance thing and uh, I, I had a little long distance relationship with my wife the entirety of the time I was in law school. I don't recommend it. it it's no, not on the relationship. It's not it, good. It, 
it's not it's not the easiest thing in the world and and so but here's the thing i i didn't really know anyone in massachusetts or boston mm. i was, certainly wasn't barred there i didn't exactly know how to get there mm. and so i just told everybody i knew who i went to law school with worked at the cab work at a firm that that was that's that's that was what I was trying to get to. I was trying to find yes. a position in um, in Boston. And so a friend of a friend, <laughs> a friend met a partner in in Boston at Holland and Knight. And he, I, I just asked if he would sit with me and to talk with me to tell me about how the Boston legal market was structured you know, mm-hmm. give me any tips. And he did. Um, he sat with me and he said, you know, you should meet the general council of partners, which is the Harvard healthcare system. And so I did that. I mean, he, he was kind and he, he met with me and told me, you know, he didn't have a position at his, at his hospital system, but he had just hired someone from Tufts. So he believes they have an opening. And he gave me the name and number for the Associate General Counsel at Tufts. And so I cold emailed him and said, hey, I'm trying to, um, you know, <laughs> you don't I got know your number, you know, I got, <laughs> I got your contact information um, from the General Counsel at Partners. I understand you may have an opening. I'm very interested in moving to Boston. Would you have a moment to talk with me about, uh, you know, about the possibilities? And he responded that day, said, actually, I am looking. Um, and would you come to uh, Massachusetts that weekend? And so I swiped my card without thinking about it. Right? I was like, I'll think about this later. Because, you know, yeah. think about it. You, you're buying a, you know, you, you know, you're buying a plane ticket. The week of travel is not cheap. Right? No, not, <laughs> so, and you're like, I don't know if it's going to lead to a job or not. And you're like, I, you don't know me from anyone, right? You know, you're just like going on blind faith and going, going like, on blind faith. And just so show it, up. I guess I should show up. <laughs> I just show up. And so I flew to Boston. He he wanted to meet near his home in New Hampshire. My uh, my fiance drove me to New Hampshire and. <laughs> I proceeded to have the longest interview of my life. I think it was like four hours. <laughs> wow. Because uh, um, he was just, he's just a very sociable person. So it was a, more more like a social slash interview meeting. Mm-hmm. And and that's how, how I got the job at Tufts. That's phenomenal. I mean, to me, one of the things, there's a couple of things I think, you know, that stand out. I mean, one I tell candidates a lot, especially those that are trying to make that leap from law firm to in-house is, you know, most people find their first, second, third in-house job, not through job boards, not through a recruiter, but through networking, Um, you know, through talking to people at their firm, talking to clients, talking to friends, people you went to law school with. And um, you're sort of a textbook example of that um, and kind of putting yourself out there. And, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people in the course of those conversations you were having with, you know, the Holland and Knight attorney and, you know, the you know, Harvard um, medical group, like healthcare group, you know, they're, they're not hiring right now. I don't know anyone, but you just kept going at it and ultimately you know, resulted in this, you know, amazing opportunity. And I think and, there's a 
a lesson in that, you know, to stick yourself out there and not be afraid to ask people. And there's a saying in the Southeast that uh, closed mouths don't get fed. Yep. <laughs> so, so there you go. Closed mouths don't get fed. No, and I think I wasn't going to find a job in Boston, you know, sitting at my computer in Atlanta. Mm-mm. So, and, you know, the the power of networking, it, it's real. It's real, man. Like, I have, n- since my firm job, every job I've gotten since has been through networking. And I'm not yep. what you would consider a natural networker. I feel, uh, you know, it's a little uncomfortable for me. I'm not the type of person who can go into a a room with no and I know no one and feel and and, and feel comfortable. It takes a bit of effort, but I I had I had a goal. I knew what I wanted. I knew I had to do it, and so I didn't have a problem putting myself out there for a purpose. Yes, that makes sense. That makes complete and total sense. So how long were you guys in Boston and, and were you at Tufts um, before the leap to McKesson back to Atlanta? Yeah, so uh, we were in Boston around four or so years and I loved it. I loved everything about Tufts, their leadership, my boss, the culture. I felt I felt in a lot of ways I grew up as a lawyer at Tufts. Because I had, again, just another great boss who believed in me and would just throw things at me. And, you know, know, was was always famous for saying, you know, you'll figure it out. You're smart. You'll figure it out. (laughs) You're smart. You'll figure it out. You'll smart. You'll figure it out. I love it. And and so I got to do M&A deals and I got to do, you know, I got to manage the legal affairs of our compliance and our pharmacy, things that I things that wouldn't have been opportunities at non-academic medical centers. I got to do research, things like that, research law and things like that. And so it was a great proving ground for a healthcare lawyer. You got to see a little bit about a little bit of everything and you got to hone your skills in, you know, in healthcare law in particular. And so when my now husband graduates residency, we have now, one one child and we decided to move back to Atlanta um, to raise our family. It was great for him. It would it was, it created great opportunities for him. I was already barred in Georgia and great opportunities for me. And Tufts allowed me to work remotely from Atlanta for a while. And so we moved back. And so I'm working remotely. I have another child. And you know it's going well and for a while. And around the time where my when my daughter turns two, so now I have a um, a three year old and a two year old, and I start to feel an itch, like I'm ready for something more. And in mm. part because I was remote at Tufts before remote was a thing, so right. they're in a conference room, I'm on the phone. You mm. know, you know, they're still hanging around each other at work, and I am off in Atlanta my home office and so I started to feel disconnected and then there were you know there are challenges to moving up in that environment because you you can't really with a straight face ask for a promotion when everyone is still there on site doing the work and you are limited in what you can do for an academic medical center 
um, when you don't live in the city. Yes. So I started to think about other opportunities, whether or not I was ready for another opportunity. And this job for McKesson came across my LinkedIn. And I knew one person at McKesson, so I reached out. And I said, do you think this is a real job? Or is this one of those things where they know who they're hiring and they just got to post it? (laughs) And, And she's like, I think it's a real job. And so she goes into the office of a person who she believes would be my future manager and turns out really to be a peer. Uh, And he he says, oh, it's a real job. Pull up her LinkedIn. Let me look. Uh, Tell her to call. (laughs) Tell her to call. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I need we need. And they had been searching for at the time the position was a U.S. healthcare privacy lawyer. And they were searching for someone for about two years for the role. And what I had learned is that healthcare privacy is a niche in and of itself. You can be a privacy lawyer without being a healthcare privacy lawyer. And what they were finding was that it was hard to find a healthcare privacy lawyer. Now, I didn't think of myself as a privacy lawyer. I thought of myself as a healthcare lawyer. But if there's one thing you know when you're a healthcare lawyer is HIPAA. So, 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 um, I was like, well, I can do healthcare privacy. And so I, inter- I I applied and I interviewed. And, you know, back then, the McKesson interview gauntlet, it was like 12 people. I interviewed with so many people and, and got and got the position uh, that way. And so it was another pivot, I think, where I, I never thought privacy, security, was was in my wheelhouse but upon reading the job description I was like I know I know this I know that I can do this and what I didn't and what I didn't know um I could learn you know yeah yeah no absolutely and I think I mean that's again another example of you sort of like jumping (laughs) maybe head first in, into something where you think that, you know, you, you can do it. Um, and, and I love it in the street. And one of the lessons that we've, you and I have talked about this before briefly is I think for a lot of folks, myself included, you know, there's a little bit of perfectionism that runs among uh, attorneys and people, you know, who are high achieving. I myself always want to know how to do the thing before I'm tasked with doing it. Right. I want to be, you know, there's the perfectionism at play. Um, it's something I'm guilty of having and carrying along with me. Um, but in a couple of instances, you know, the, the very first job you took, as well as maybe even the tough job because of the breadth and scope of that role. And then with the McKesson one, you know, there was a part of you, there was a confidence um, that whatever I don't know, I'll figure it out. Right. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts on that or advice for our listening audience, people who are maybe reticent? to do that um, and don't like being a fish out of water um, and that uncomfortable feeling. um, What are your thoughts on that? I think being a fish out of water, uh, learning how to be a fish out of water, learning how to be resilient. um, It's, you know, I think we talked about this, Rebecca, it's not innate. It's certainly a learned behavior. And so I learned it growing up and honed it over time. When I grew up, my parents never let me quit anything, Mm, anything, anything, (laughs) ever, right? If I signed up and certainly if they paid the fees, oh my God, you were like, you're in it 
<laughs> yes, we need to get and our it, money's worth. We have to we get, our money's get our money's worth. And they would tell me, they were like, are you sure? I said, I would say, yes. It's like, we're about to pay. Are you sure? Because like, yes. you one know. I'm going to ask you one more, one time. more time. Are you sure? <laughs> and because and you know when they said we're about to pay, and if they paid, it's, it was a done deal. And yeah. and that was my my childhood. I mean, I whether it was dance classes, whether it was you know, sports teams. And I will tell you, I was a terrible athlete. I mean, <laughs> the levels of embarrassment I have subjected myself to trying <laughs> to play sports in a sports loving family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my parents still make fun of me uh, w- in terms of Hulk. My, my dad's speech at my wedding featured m- one of my more clumsier sporting event stories. So, <laughs> so, so um, but they wouldn't let me quit. I had to live through the embarrassment and get up and do it again, you know. Yeah, and, and they were like, "You're gonna learn this lesson: one, not to waste our money, and <laughs> and two, you know, not not to quit and to be be, you know, they were imbuing you with uh, some resilience." Which yeah, I, and I think you know what I learned mostly growing up is that I can do hard things. Mm-hmm. And when I went to college, it was another ex- example of that. I left Jamaica and went to Wisconsin. Oh, I went wow. to this. I know. I went to the school <laughs> that gave me the most scholarship money, and I promise oh. you, I didn't really know where Wisconsin was on the map or what that yeah. would mean. Yeah, that's somewhere um, in the U.S. Up. Oh, yeah. Somewhere in there. <laughs> somewhere in there. How bad could it be? How cold mm. could it be? And oh, I, culture shock. Culture, culture shock. shock. I was freezing for four years, but I was on a partial scholarship, and so my parents had to pay the Delta, mm. and I knew I couldn't quit. Yeah, I, I knew I wouldn't quit, and and so I was used to moving through hard things, moving through painful things. It had become a habit, and a little bit too much of a habit sometimes, where um, that it's sometimes hard to admit when it's time to let something mm. go, you know. Yeah. But but I did develop that muscle where. I could do hard things. I know how to do hard things. The other thing is I know how to learn. I know how to learn new subject areas. I know how to learn entire new scopes of law. I've had to do it. I had to do it from, I had to do it when I, when I started as litigator. I had to do it when I became a healthcare lawyer. I had to do it when I became a privacy lawyer and then a cyber lawyer and then a tech lawyer. And increasing scope at McKesson over time, I've gotten sort of a more increasing scope. And so I've had to learn various skills over and over again. And so at a certain point, you realize you know how and you can. And so it builds a level of confidence where there's there's not much I think I can't figure out from a professional perspective. Yeah. No, that's great. I you you answered a question that I was curious about. You know, where does your resilience come from? Because we, you know, we agree it, it's not an eight. You know, I think some people are more predisposed to it than others. But mm-hmm. say the way you build resilience is frankly being punched in the face, and you keep getting back up, and you keep getting back up, and you realize you're not going to die, and the world isn't going to fall apart, and you're going to be okay. Um, mm-hmm. and that allows you to grow. Um, 
And so I, I love the, the, the sports example because <laughs> that's uh, a common theme. Um, most learning. of my nightmares, most of my nightmares of me failing with, comically at sports. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it in the face of, um, as I say, a family that seems to be apparently very athletic. So uh, I, I love that as an example. Well, this has been super helpful. Uh, one last question that I want to ask you, Rochelle, and it's again kind of goes with our theme, um, your theme throughout th- throughout the career of being uh, resilient, and you know the theme of this podcast. You know, I-, I think the last few years in particular have been really, really difficult for everyone due to COVID, world events, um, you know, the growth of the Black Lives Matter movement. I could go on and on and on, um, and also just the kind of um, upheaval in our profession, right? You've seen these mergers and during 2020, you know, furloughs and layoffs and that sort of thing. What advice would you give newly minted attorneys who, you know, have kind of gone straight through, have been successful throughout their entire lives, but are now in a career where they may not have experienced this kind of tumult or these setbacks? What, What would you say to them? You're not alone. Many of us have had to overcome similar setbacks, and I can share with you some of the things that have helped me uh, figure out my own direction and how to chart my own course. I think it's really helpful if you understand your own values and what matters to you. So, you know, I'm at the law firm and I'm struggling, um, you know, in a lot of dimensions that's For a lot of folks, that's what defines success, the money you can earn in big law and what have you, and to take a pay cut to go in-house. By some some measures, that's a step back. But for me, I understood that I needed more than a paycheck to be happy. I realized relatively early that I wanted to do meaningful work. And working in healthcare provides me that. Even as a lawyer, I feel... Like I'm doing something to help people in my profession um, as a lawyer, helping people get well, helping advance the mission of healthcare, and and that matters to me. It helps get me up on the most difficult days for work. And so, figure out what your values are, what matters to you, because through the tumultuous times, you're gonna have to figure out where is true north and steer your ship that way at all times. Um, and sometimes it has to be incremental. So overnight success is very challenging and sometimes rare. And you need it and you and you need to be thoughtful about where is the North Star to to through 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 the winding roads to get there to what success is for you. And then, I, you know, if there's if there's anything from my story, I think it's the power of trusted advisors and 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 trusted colleagues and friends i've leaned on them so many times even just to understand my own mind why am i miserable right now <laughs> right yeah um, you yeah. know how do i get how do i get up sometimes i'm not even i wasn't even aware of the possibilities i didn't think i could move from litigation to healthcare healthcare wasn't even on my radar that was presented by an advisor and and so you know, don't be don't be alone in your negative thoughts and in your and and be too solitary because sometimes you can't even see what's in front of you or what the possibilities could be. And so find those trusted people 
and 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 don't be ashamed to lean on them sometimes. I think that's great. I mean, all of this is just such wonderfully sound advice. And it starts with, like you said, you know, what really makes you tick as an individual, yeah. you know, and sort of not listening to societal pressures. I think I myself was guilty of that when I first started practicing of, you know, this is what you should be doing. You should be a litigator. It was a terrible fit for me too. So, you know, first you got to figure out what do you ultimately want? And then when you figure mm-hmm. that out, that's your, like you said, your North star um, in guiding all of your actions going forward. Well, this was wonderful, Rochelle. I, I really appreciate you giving me so much of your time, being so open and honest with me and our listeners today about your personal life and your career. I got a lot out of this conversation and I know that they will too. And I sincerely appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. Join us next time for another story about thriving after overcoming challenges. You can find Bouncing Back and other programming for lawyers on MLA's Legal Talk Network.